This is the sound of hand sanitizer, which is what we do before every episode now. <laughs> I don't get it. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to I Don't Get It. This is a podcast about performances in Edmonton, however we are able to capture them these days. Um, my name is Fonda, and we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Today, I'm talking with Nisha Patel and Sherry Somerville about Body of Words. It's a collaborative performance piece that is being streamed online as part of Skirtsifier Reimagined, formerly known as Skirtsifier, a festival. Um, but we're not allowed to call anything a festival anymore because they're actually against the rules of the pandemic. So um, so they've called it Skirtsifier Reimagined uh, for 2021. Now, um, some listeners may already know Nisha from our chat that we had with her early on in the pandemic. She is currently winding down in her role as Edmonton's Poet Laureate and ramping up in her new role as the regional writer-in-residence for the metro area libraries. And Sherry Somerville is the executive director of Ballet Edmonton, also a performer with Dynasty and a wonderful singer. And fun fact, Sherry is also the aunt of our frequent guest host, Colleen Fian. Uh, so in this chat, we cover how their collaboration came about, what audiences can expect to see online, and um, also how the pandemic has affected these two in general, from performing poetry for an audience of one, or sometimes none, and how a ballet company um, can safely rehearse and operate in this wild new world. So before we get into the interview, I will tell you about our sponsors. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Career Essentials, a new podcast from techlifetoday.ca and Nate. Career Essentials offers real-world advice and insight into different careers and career paths. It features the stories and experiences of Nate alumni with lessons for everyone. Discover perspectives, tools, and tips essential to career growth and success, no matter what stage you're at in your career journey. A recent episode, which I quite enjoyed, features Edmonton chef Stephen Brochu of Milk Crate, who explains why mental health in the restaurant industry often gets ignored, and he shares what he's doing to change that. You can find Career Essentials on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can also find it at techlifetoday.ca forward slash podcast. We're also brought to you this week by Edmonton Community Foundation. ECF helps people create endowment funds and acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group, and once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds into the community. You can also hear about how many of those endowment funds intersect with the community on the Well Endowed podcast. You can subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com or learn more about all of ECF's programs at ecfoundation.org. Well, hello, Nisha and Sherry. Thanks for joining us on the I Don't Get It podcast. No, happy to be here. Delighted to be here. Nice to see and hear you both. Nisha, you were on the podcast really early on in the pandemic. Uh, and so uh, it's nice to have you back for sure. Um, I also just uh, came across your open letter to Jason Kenny on Facebook just before this this call started. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's been a very strange 
pandemic. And now that we're all working from home, I feel like I simultaneously have more time to write open letters to government officials, but also less time to do other things in my life. Yes. And of course, in the form of video poetry, which now shall be the way that we have poetry delivered to us live. So... (laughs) Um, All right. Well, uh, you are both working um, with a number of other artists, of course, on a a nice big project for Skirts of Fire, which has had to reimagine itself as an online and kind of otherwise festival. So um, maybe I can ask a little bit about what is Body of Words and how did the idea for it all come about? Body of Words is um, the interesting title we gave it when we realized we were going to put some amazing poetry and ballet together, um, trying to conceptualize a a, a way to to describe what it was. And the, the project came about in a kind of really organic way. Annette and I had met about a year ago, talking about Ballet Edmonton being part of Skirts of Fire Festival and our our uh, timing wasn't quite lining up. And then we met in like late February, early March, maybe saying, is this going to be a thing, this pandemic they were talking about or this virus? And we were laughing because we were like the only two people sitting in the coffee shop realizing things were going downhill and we had come to realize oh darn we're gonna have to wait another year through the pandemic and then as the pandemic was unfolding and I threw my season dates at the Trifo out the window I realized we were completely liberated time-wise and I reached back out to Annette and said hey if you're doing your festival I don't have any more dates I'm tied to uh, at theaters so we could probably make this work. And she jumped back in and said, oh, wow, great. So we started to chat about it and um, and uh, realized that for us to create a work for her festival, a full evening, we needed a lot of lead time and it was a very expensive endeavor. So I said, we could create a shorter piece. Why don't you put us together with someone? some musicians or something. And she said, Oh, yes, yes. And came back and said, I have the perfect pairing. How about spoken word? And I was so incredibly excited because I think spoken word, first of all, is music. It's the cadence and the, it's just so, so compelling an art form. And I thought, yeah, we can definitely marry um, an evening of movement and spoken word and sort of um, ask Carissa, our creator, to echo the sentiment of um, the stuff that they were going to talk about. I do want to ask about the choreographic process in in a minute here. But um, Nisha, when they when you were approached, how did you feel about working with dancers and having you know physicality added to to what you do? I think it's so important that with spoken word, we already understand that there is a physicality and a presence in a room. And when we were approached with this idea of bringing dance into it, I felt like it's almost a natural extension of the bodily expression that already comes with spoken word poetry in particular. Uh, I'm someone who has a lot of trouble kind of animating my body to its fullest extent. And so having the opportunity to have someone else help with that communicative process was something of, I I think, a privilege. And I was really excited for for the opportunity for us to work together. And so how did the text of the piece come together and then the choreography, did it happen at the same time collaboratively or is it one one after the other? 
it sort of staggered. Uh, early on in the process, we were trying to figure out how that would work, and we didn't want to. We 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 knew that that the performance aspect of spoken word is its own thing, so we thought it was best as an echo. So it's poet movement, poet movement, poet movement. But what what Nisha um, was able to do is give us the text and the framework. And then Carissa has been working with Nisha's ideas and her text to inform the language. So um, there might be a, a on the film that we're creating, there might be an overlap where there's text is finishing and the dance is starting. That's kind of how we're going to do it as opposed to have text in the background while we're dancing or dance in the background while they're speaking. We felt that everybody, um, yeah, because spoken word is such a visceral and to me, a very physical experience, you need to see the poet deliver their stuff. And we are literally that echo right after them. Nisha, do you want to add anything there about the? No, I just, I, I feel like that really succinctly sums it up. You know, there is, there is again, just like such a physical element to performing in a space with other people and having dance to kind of illustrate that, illustrate, you know, what we're trying to do in our subject matter is something that's really special. A lot of what we're talking about both in my words and Majin's words, who is the other poet involved in the project, is talking about physical disability, right? The inability to move our bodies in the ways that we want to move them. And so meshing it together with dance and now being able to do it in a video format is, I hope, an accessible way for us to continue getting our story across. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the text and the poetry that is that that is being used and inspired in the piece? Yeah, so traditionally the show that Skirts of Fire does with poetry often focuses on empowering especially young women of color in the community and giving them an opportunity to showcase their work. And this year for curating it, it's a show that I've curated before in the past. This year, I wanted to focus specifically on the topic of his disability. And so Majin is a disability advocate, lives with multiple conditions that are overlapping and physical Um, I am also someone who has now a physical disability as well as a mental illness. And all of these things come into play in my writing. And what we found is that we were wanting to write about these experiences, the challenges that we face, how difficult some of those moments are. Um, In particular, I, I wrote a lot about being unable to breathe during times where my lung capacity was limited. And Majin talked a lot about kind of the everyday sacrifices that people make when they're when they're disabled in order to get through the day. And we wanted that to really contribute to the conversation that the dance was going to have with the audience. You know, that there's a free freedom in dance, but also a way to really show the limitations when we live in live with a disability. Sherry, how did the dancers work with the text? Um, what sort of um, like what sort of process did they use to um, kind of inspire the movement um, after being given this the poetry? Oh, it was really fun. So, I mean, Carissa, you know, has created the work and her work is always collaborative with the dancers. So she wanted to play with the tension. I mean, dance is best if there's tension, right? There's got to be tension in terms of the narrative and tension even in the body. And so the wonderful thing about contemporary ballet is it's not all about um, beauty and, 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 and that kind of traditional ethereal thing. It is very much about 
the tension inside the body. And so she loved the idea of exploring a body that is uncooperative and a body that can work sometimes and is struggling to be liberated or a body that is 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 uh, tangled with itself. And then, of course, she will she also wanted to imagine um what happens when you you are released from that and then you're back into it so you had a beautiful um nisha had a beautiful moment in a poem and i wish i hadn't but but it was something you you imagined some moment that uh it was going down a hill or running somewhere and that sparked a whole movement for carissa where she went okay, so you're struggling with with the limitations of a body at a particular time for something, but you imagine or you recall or you dream of this moment of freedom and liberation. So that informs the music. So it's coming in and out of that tension. And it's been really great. And it's always great for our dancers because to give them a whole bunch of narrative or a whole bunch of, of verbs to play with is such a... Uh, fruitful um, experience in the studio. Nisha, was that something that you sort of uh, incorporated deliberately is giving them really like physical, like physical vocabulary to chew on while they were making this? No, I don't think we, we tried to do it deliberately. Uh, when I teach poetry and it's something that Medjean also teaches, it's that poetry needs to really have a lot of sensory language, you know, imagery that is rooted in the self and in things that we can access. And so I think naturally, uh, a lot of spoken word already does this. And I, I do think it was a good starting off point for what the dancers were trying to do. Yeah, it was amazing. It's so it's so uh, rich in, in, in that kind of imagery. There's just tons to work with. I'm guessing that the initial way that you plan to collaborate didn't happen in quite the same way that um, <laughs> that maybe it was initially outlined. <laughs> um, how, have, how have things had to change for you even just in the last few weeks as, um, you know, parameters around, uh, you know, phases of opening and things like that? I mean, as a Scrutifier sent out a thing saying that we're not even allowed to really sell, call ourselves a festival right now because festivals aren't allowed to happen. So um, how did things have to change or adjust for you just in real time as, um, as the pandemic situation is progressing? We were, you know, we've been creating this for quite some time. So we got a good head start on it before we were, you know, the restrictions, they're always changing. Uh, fortunately, we have dancers who live together. <laughs> so we were able to just restrict the amount of dancers in the room um, to two really small twos, ones, twos, and threes, and continue working. But we had to stagger the times of day. And luckily in our studio, we have five studios and we're the only people there during the day. So that worked out incredibly well. And Chris, of course, had a really good start in this because we've been doing it for quite a while. But the disappointing part, of course, is that we won't have, um, we won't be in the same space together. We were so looking forward to choreographing and lighting sort of, you know, Nisha coming forward and then her finishing up as a dancer was finding their way on stage, like that beautiful thing. Um, but we will do it in a film. I mean, our backup plan all year was plan A is a show, plan B is a film. And so we, you know, right away, uh, just talk to our filmmaker, Adam, we kind of have a, a, um, um, We've, we got one of the Epcor Heart and Soul Fund grants, and that was dedicated to just 
making film. And so we just called them up and said, we're going to make a film. And that means it's more of a 3D experience. And that means actually it can be quite magical because, you know, he's going to now um, film um, Majin and, and Nisha and um, then he can edit all the parts together and it can be in 3D and it's going to be really, really exciting. So it's been a lot of work, um, but trying to find where we're going to film and when we're going to film and hope that the restrictions don't tighten even more and we go into a full-on lockdown. So we're just sort of crossing our fingers waiting for the end of the month. <laughs> and Nisha, I don't know if you've recorded your parts or anything yet for the for film, but um, how are you finding delivering poetry as as and spoken word over Zoom and over film projects now, which have kind of been the norm for the last number of months. Well, I think for spoken word and most people in Edmonton who are involved in the arts have seen spoken word because there's so much of it. There's such a rich community here in Edmonton. A lot of it depends on what we kind of refer to as like audience energy, right? How much are you giving to the audience and how much are they giving back? And that really dictates in the moment how big a performance can be. And the idea is always to be able to fill the room that you're in, to fill the space that you're in, to meet the audience where they are. And the first, I would say, even six months of performing in a pandemic at home was incredibly difficult for me to do do things on video and not have that feedback. And what I've learned now is that I'm very lucky because I live with my partner and I've learned to do these shows for an audience of one, essentially, right? So even having mm -hmm. a single person to focus that energy on. Um, other times when I've done shows alone, um, if they weren't in the room, you know, I've really tried to recreate what it means to connect to an audience via Zoom and via video. And that has really helped me center myself in in the movement and in the performance of a piece. It's still very difficult. Uh, there's a lot of technical details. You have to worry about camera angles. But it is generally, you know, it it's generally been a really big privilege to be able to perform at all during lockdown. And I'm grateful that people have adjusted as we've adjusted, that they've been kinder in how we perform. They've been more forgiving of mess ups and stuff like that. But also the accessibility has been much better. You know, I'm able to read and have a versatile set list. If things change throughout the night, I can access all my files right away. Um, you know, if I need to use the bathroom, I can leave very quickly. I don't have to worry about any of that. I don't have to drive anywhere in an, you know, Albertan winter and worry about getting to a gig on time. Um, gigs take less time sometimes to prepare for because I'm not sitting there waiting, you know, backstage or anything like that. Other times they take more time because I have to prepare more and stuff like that. So I think for accessibility, it's done absolute wonders for me, especially as someone who works multiple jobs day to day. It's been it's been a really big blessing for me to be able to continue to perform in this setting. I've heard a lot from other event producers that the the accessibility, even even just in like not having to find childcare um, and, and things like that too, for audiences are just able to kind of like pop in and out of things um, in ways that they normally wouldn't have been able to. So that's also kind of been something I think that a lot of organizations and performing arts have discovered um, that may not actually go away. We may not do all of that all the time anymore once the pandemic is over, but I do think that there will be like an evolution where things are offered more accessibly as on, on, on like a general regular basis um, than, uh, than, than maybe they were before. I think that there are some holes, uh, big holes in the accessibility um, in the culture 
that have only kind of like really come to light to everyone since they were starting able, being able to offer things Mm -hmm. online like this. But Sherry, I did want to ask you, um, what has it meant for a ballet company for your dancers? Um, you, you mentioned that some of them do live together. So I guess there is a little bit of, um, cohort performance going on. Um, but what does it mean for this ballet company and for these dancers to not be in their shoes for, I mean, how, however long? Yeah, you know, we, uh, that really stressed us out. So the pandemic hit last March and we immediately stopped everything when we realized about March 13th, I think we, we, we felt everyone was in danger. So we sent them to their apartments. Literally, we kept them on the payroll because we didn't know what was happening. We just said, go home and stay home. And so we, we paid them till the end of the season. And then, of course, the season ended and then they all informed us that they were just going to leave town and go to their families. And that was really good. But then, you know, dancers don't not dance for more than about a month. Um, They need to be on point. They need to be in the studio. They need to do that daily technical grind. So we brought them all back uh, in September, regardless of how our performance here or our season was going to look, we decided that our focus was making sure everybody stayed employed. Um, And because we had five studios in the building, we could stagger them in. So we started to do that and everybody had blocks of time where they could work by themselves. And um, then we have big TV screens in the studio. So you can zoom stuff to every studio. And, uh, and so we were able to just uh, still do their technical training every day for that, that hour and 15. And then people got to start working together. And thank goodness, they, they all live literally in the same place in the same building, and some of them live together. So they were already a healthy cohort. Uh, Even so, we still kept them apart um, as much as we could. And then yeah, so when the lockdowns have happened, um, it's just been two people at a time or one person at a time. But the idea is every day you're working to some capacity in a studio to keep your levels up. And it's been, uh, it, it has meant the difference between us surviving and not. Literally, it's a career ender if they couldn't have kept going. So we feel really, really lucky and everybody's been safe and they had, we developed a really comprehensive uh, risk mitigation plan, even though they were cohorts, they still, we didn't want them to go to restaurants, no cabs, no buses, no Ubers. So we arranged all the rides to and from the studio so that they had no uh, engagement really with um, the the public. And then I, a few times said, do big orders at save on and I'll go pick them up in my car and bring them to the, to the building. So you don't even have to do grocery shopping. So they've been so disciplined and we just said no family visiting, no friends, no nothing. And, uh, and I said, by all means, if you can't live that way, no problem. Like just, just tell us and, and we'll see you when all the restrictions lift. And so they, they all just said, no, no, we're in. So it, it's been really lots of work and and uh, rewarding at the same time. Wenwei, our artistic wow. director, he's so amazing because he can build a puzzle by not having a dancer in the same room. He can still build all their parts and then put them together. It's like amazing. He's a yes guy. <laughs> yeah, well, very talented. Followed Wenwei's work for a very long time. And yeah, it's just, yeah, it's fantastic. How many dancers do you employ at Ballet Edmonton? Um, typically eight. 
We did have one dancer who chose to stay away this year to be with his family. Uh, so this year, seven. Yeah, that, I mean, that's amazing. Even just like as a, as a small company to be able to cohort like that and still and still practice. Um, we did an episode kind of on the like the Christmas season without the Nutcracker uh, earlier on. Yeah. And uh, for the podcast. And it was um, what we came across some writing, some uh, interviews that say, you know, for a dancer to lose like a season or two seasons, it sometimes could, it's like 10% of their career time. Um, and that is yep. like, that's just shocking to think about that, you know, like when performances shut down, that that is actually like a hard line, especially for performing dancers yeah. right? and I'm, athletes of certain types. Kind of basically what happened, right? For for a lot of the Olympics, like for, um, you know, what was supposed to happen in Japan last year. And I've been talking to some friends who live in Tokyo now and thinking they're like, yeah, it'll probably happen, but without audience. And we don't know if it'll happen this summer either. So yeah, it's, it's a wild, wild time that we are living in. So Maybe just give us a sense of what the audience is going to see when they sign up for body uh, body of words. What is what? What are we going to be watching? You're going to watch a film. You're not going to watch a, a a thing that's you know shot as if we were in a theater. It's going to be a film. It's going to be um, you know cut cutting in and out and music overlays and some text at the beginning and well lit and beautifully beautiful sound that was obviously the most important thing the sound and the visual and so um it'll be great it'll be it'll be a, an experience i mean it's going to be it won't be long you know it might be 15 minutes um uh, because that's a lot of of dance and, and poetry and editing and you know we again we wanted it to be a small film, not a videotaped live performance. So that's what they're going to see. It'll have all those elements. Um, the things actually that you can't see from a dance perspective, you only get a one dimensional when you're filming dance archivally at, at, in a theater. You don't have the cameraman behind the dancers on stage. So we will have that whole 3D experience. So. Yeah, it is sort of one thing that has been um, you kind of like either get that sort of idea of like the filmed performance, which is similar to what we saw with Northern Light Theater in their most recent production. It was a, a one person show that was filmed like a play. Um, and then there's other stuff that's being really created for film. But again, you can like the, the time for that and everything and and budgets and all the actual resources that you need are quite different. So. Once we knew that we were not going to have a live show, Carissa started to create her movement for film to be done in 3D. And that became exciting. I, I just want to say that uh, I'm a really big fan of collaboration. And I think the pandemic and this project in particular for us has been a really great opportunity because to put two art forms together that don't normally be together to me is super exciting. And I, I hope it turns out beautifully. I hope um, our audiences discover spoken word and um, certainly spoken word audiences. I hope they enjoy our dance, but I just think that's the way of this, this year. And hopefully it's not a thing that we're doing because we're in a pandemic. Hopefully it's a thing that we're doing because it's a good idea to bring artists together across sectors and create yeah, um, I I think that mostly I'm focusing right now on my role as writer in residence with 
the Strathcona Library. And so really, it's it's not so much a, a show or anything that I'm trying to promote, but I really want people who are looking for writing feedback to connect with me so that I can point them in the right direction, uh, maybe give some general feedback on their work. There's lots of workshops going on with that. Um, I guess I will also be launching my book at some point uh, through an online format of some sort, but I'm sure that people will will see that around. So really, I would like to promote the the writer in residence position, which is here all year and available to literally anyone now that we're online. That's awesome. And we will post about um, links for how to access the writer in residence um, and all that kind of stuff in our in our show notes as well. And of course, to the show itself and, um, and to the rest of what's happening at Skirts of Fire. So again, Nisha Patel and Sherry Somerville, thank you so much for joining us or joining me here today. Um, I hope that you're well out there and that you're staying warm. And, um, and, you know, until next time, hopefully, we'll actually be able to meet in person soon. <laughs> thank you Thanks for having us yeah it's gonna have been a pleasure always all right so you can catch body of words online from march 7th to 14th it is by donation and skirts of fire is running from march 4th through 14th uh mostly online but there's some cool things that you can check out in safely distanced ways in old strathcona as well we'll share the links for all of this in our show notes of course Special thanks again to Nisha and Sherry for the chat, and I hope you can all check out their collaboration. Um, in terms of listings, well, you all know everything's really online, so go see some shows, uh, everyone, from the safety of your home Wi-Fi, and do your part to make sure you are seeking out and supporting those artists, and if you can, of course, send them a donation. They sure could use it. Bye! I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Episodes are produced by Fonda Mithrush and Paul Blinov. We are recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Series art by Michael Nunweiler. Technical support by Andrew Paul. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you value independent local arts coverage please consider supporting us on Patreon or leaving us a review on your podcatcher. Find out more at idontgetityeg.com.